Heavenly Father, I know your Holy Spirit is here. I can sense it. I can feel you just uh, around us and inside us and through us. And as we open your word, God, may we understand you better. May we truly grasp your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So every year in the month of May, we take one day out of the year and we celebrate Mother's, Mother's Day, which I think is a little ridiculous because without your mamas, none of you would be here. I think every day should be Mother's Day. Any amens out there? See, mothers are amazing. I think they have superpowers in multiple ways. Um, you've seen it before, little kids running through the parking lot, they trip, they skin their knee. With the slightest kiss from a mama, wounds are healed. If we could somehow capture a mother's kiss, I think we could cure cancer. It's just that simple. Mothers have superpowers. Like uh, a mother can take one single glance and a child will sit up straight in their seat just like that. Have you noticed this? You've seen the look before? When I was a little boy growing up, uh, my dad is a pastor, and, and so he oftentimes was very busy on Sabbath morning. He'd be up on the platform preaching or just sitting. My mom, the, uh, the ancient uh, perfect picture of a pastor's wife of what it used to look like, was the church organist. I mean, perfect, right? So she would be on the organ. My dad would be on the platform. And uh, so my sister and I, we had free reign of that front row, that front pew, and most of the time we were well-behaved, but occasionally we'd get out of line and all it would take was my mother spinning around on that organ seat and locking eyes with us and we would straighten up like that or face her wrath later. Moms have superpowers. There's something about it. When mothers have children, there's just this natural connection with children and their mothers, not their fathers, because mama's got the food, everybody knows that mama loves them the most, it's just this connection. And we dads, we do our best to connect with our kids, but that first year or so, it's all mom all the time. And you can, you know, dads have fun too. I had lots of fun. When Caffrey was born, my oldest son, we spent a lot of time together and I forced him to play with me because he just wanted to be with his mama. But every once in a while, I get a picture like this one here. There's my guy. Yeah, a couple of dudes hanging out. What's funny about this picture is the only reason he's smiling, it's not because he's having fun, it's because his mama's holding the camera and she's smiling at him. It's all about the mother. You guys know what it is. There's, there's something special about a mother's love. You can't compare it to anything else because it's simply unbelievable. Today, as we close this series on the Song of Solomon, as we look at a couple's love for each other, and as we relate it to God's love, we look at it through the lens of a mother's love. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me to Song of Solomon chapter 8. It's exactly the same area where we were last week. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible. It's in front of you, the blue one. You can follow along on page 483. You'll read the same words I'm reading. If last week you were reading along and you thought, well, we've got unfinished business here. We haven't finished this little passage. You're right. We saved it for this week. So let me give you some context and then we'll cruise into the passage. Shulamit, the bride, has married Solomon, the groom. They are officially married in happy matrimony. They're a married couple and they're having this conversation and Shulamit, she's talking about how important love is and we pick up our story right there in verse 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, starting in verse 6. Say amen when you're there. Okay, that's good. Here we go. Here's what Shulamit, the bride, says. She says, 
You heard this last week. She said, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And remember last week, the flame of Yahweh. This is God's burning love for you and me. It never flickers. It never dims. It doesn't dwindle. It never goes out. This flame burns forever and ever. You cannot stop this burning flame of God's love for you and me. And then she says these words in verse 7. She says, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. She describes this love that she has for her husband and that he has for her in the same way as God's flame of of burning love for you and me. She says, many waters can't sweep it away. You can't buy it either. All the money in your house, you can't buy it. I find it interesting that she says many waters. It's a phrase used all throughout the Old Testament, and it's always used in the context of salvation. Either something's being taken away and something is given, someone is dying, someone's being saved. It's always in this contrasting look. You see it in the flood. You've got the story of Noah, and God says, hey, this world is going to be wiped clean of sin, and anyone that chooses to be saved can be saved. I'm going to build this ark, this boat, and you can get on if you want to. And so for 40 years, Noah preaches that the earth is going to be destroyed, and and if you want to be saved, get on the ark. It's this salvation piece, and the many waters come, and there's salvation on the ark. When the many, many waters cover the earth, there's salvation on the ark. You see it in the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. As the Israelites, they leave Egypt. They head out towards uh, the Promised Land. They get to the the Red Sea. They are faced with the many waters. The Egyptians are coming behind them. God opens up the sea and lets them walk through the many waters on dry ground. And after they're through the other side, the many waters come together on the Egyptians. There's salvation because God led them through the many waters. We even see this kind of imagery in baptism, like we just had a minute ago. It's slightly different because the many waters that you're washed with, they wash the sin off, and you are saved because you come through the many waters. It's the same symbolism all the way through, and Shulamit, the bride, she describes her long love of her husband as many waters can't destroy it, many waters can't sweep it away, it can't be drowned, a flooding river cannot smother it, This flame of her love for her husband and the love of God for you and I, you can't wash it away. Less than a year ago, September 28th, you'll remember this day, Hurricane Ian comes to the west side of Florida. They'd done the spaghetti models. You'd seen it coming. We were all watching them on our phones or different news apps. And it, it's heading towards the west coast of Florida, and it, at the last second, it kind of took a little turn and hit Fort Myers. Well, there was a young family, Callie Brown. Here's a picture of the family. There's Callie Brown, uh, her boyfriend, Chad Duckwall, and their three-month-old little boy named Charlie. They were caught right in the path of this hurricane. They'd been watching the news, too, but they thought, ah, it's not going to be that bad. But as the 12 foot of storm surge came on to land, the water began to creep into their home. She says that within 20 minutes, the water rose five feet inside their home. 20 minutes, that's really quick. 
that's enough to panic and figure, we got to do something. And so they, they thought, well, where can we go that's higher ground? And so they, they thought of their neighborhood. And at the corner of their neighborhood was a house that was vacant because it was for sale. And it was up on higher ground. And so this mom... She's quick to action. She drops the stairs down to the attic. She goes up into there. She finds one of those plastic totes, you know, the big ones that you can put your Christmas decorations in. She empties the tote and she puts her little baby boy, three-month-old Charlie, in his car seat, in this tote. She floats him across the living room, opens the door. They swim out into the street, swim down the road until they can get to this vacant uh, house that's for sale to save the baby. Here's what's crazy about this story. Little three-month-old Charlie, he slept the whole time. And you know why he could sleep the whole time? Because he knows that many waters can't take the love of his mother away from him. He knows that no matter what happens, she's going to protect him. She'll do whatever it takes. And as I think of that story, it reminds me of the story in the Bible that's just like it. Moses, this little boy, the, the Pharaoh says, let's kill all the two-year-old boys. And Mama Jacobed says, not this baby. And so she builds a little lifeboat for him as he floats on the many waters to safety. And as Shulamit, this lover of Solomon, as she describes the love, the flame of her love for her husband and the flame of Yahweh, she describes it like a mother that no water can take it away. Nothing can smother it. Many waters can come, but they won't take away the love of her to her husband. Shulamit continues in verse 7. We're going to keep reading here. She says, Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. She says this, If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. She says, You can't buy love. You can try and give all the wealth that you have, but you can't buy it. No one would take it. It's absolutely priceless. Nobody can barter for it. Nobody can trade for it. No one can buy it because it's not for sale. When I drive my kids to school in the morning, come out of our house, we drive the little roads in our neighborhood, we get on Orchard. Sometimes we see the Ericsons going to school. We come to the end of Orchard where Wakiva Springs Road is. We look across the street. Sometimes we see the Sorensen family. Sometimes we see the Chen family. Turn left on Wakiva Springs Road. We go up to uh, the stoplight. We turn left on Cantor Club. That's where I see everybody else going to school. And we go across, how many speed bumps are there? Some of you know. There's 10. Thank you, Pierce. You know. 10 speed bumps. I can go across them every single day. 10 spumps. The Scousals, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 10 speed bumps. We turn right, we get on the Hunt Club, we get down to the stoplight at Sand Lake Road to turn left to go to Fleece. That's our cue, that's our trigger for our family prayer, and we pray together. And I pray for my boys, I pray for their, their scholastics, I pray for their friendships, I pray for their teachers, I pray for my wife, and for me, I pray that our family shines Jesus in the day. And by the time I'm done praying, we're there at Fleece, and we turn into the car line, and we get all the way up to the school, and just before the boys barrel out of those doors and go to their classes, I say something to them. I don't know where it came from. It's not something in my family. It's not a tradition. I think I just made it up, but it's stuck. And so I say this to my boys pretty much every day. I say, I love you a million bucks. And oftentimes, one of them will say, I love you a billion bucks. And then the other one will say, I love you a trillion bucks. 
And it goes on and on until there's, we're making up numbers until finally someone gets wise and they say, I love you, infinity. And I know some of you fourth and fifth graders are thinking, well, I'd say infinity plus one. Is that what you're thinking, some of you? And as we say these words back and forth, we all realize what we're saying. It has nothing to do with the money. What it's saying is, I love you more than any money in the world could buy. There's not enough money that could take my love for you away because it's priceless. You can't buy it. And Shulamit, as she describes her love for her husband, and I would say the love of God to you and me, she says, there's no price tag on it. You cannot buy it. It is not for sale. It's like someone goes to a, a yard sale, a garage sale. I know some of you like those things and some of you hate them. Some of you are garage sale people and some of you are anti-garage sale people. If you go to a garage sale, you, you walk into this stranger's yard, they have their things on display for you. Some need to get washed, some are broken. It's just there's their life out on display. You look through some of the stuff. Some of you are bold, you go into the garage, you kind of pillage around and look through things. And sometimes, if you're at a garage sale, over in the corner, you might see something that, that kind of catches your eye, like an old motorcycle sitting in the corner. It's dusty, flat tires, hasn't been ridden in a very long time, and you think to yourself, I kind of like, I'd like to have a motorcycle. You, you think, man, I bet I can get that for cheap so I can fix it up and enjoy it. And so you, you find the owner that's probably in a lawn chair somewhere on a cell phone, and you say, hey, bud, how much you want for the motorcycle in the back? And he says, it's not for sale because my dad owned it and he gave it to me. There's no price on it. You could offer him a million dollars and he's not going to take it. It's not for sale. God's love is something that you can't buy either. It's not for sale. It's like at Augusta National, probably one of the most famous golf courses on the planet. It's where the Masters is played there in Augusta, Georgia every year. Now, I've, I've run a half marathon around the outside, and I've looked in to see what it's like in there. Over the last 10 years plus, Augusta National has been buying up all the property around the golf course. They've spent over $200 million buying homes, offering people cash for their home to buy all the houses around Augusta National, probably for more parking. They've spent $40 million to demo and, and bulldoze all these houses as well. They're preserving this golf course, except for one home. It's this home right here. Here's a picture of it. There it is. 1,900 square feet of pure Augusta glory. Two-thirds of an acre. Probably not worth too much. Some of you realtors are sizing it up right now, knowing the market. Augusta National has offered millions and millions of dollars to this home, to the owners of this home. It's Herman and Elizabeth um, Thacker's house. They built this house back in 1959. They're the only owners. They've lived there since then, never moved. Just a few years ago in 2019, Herman, the, the man, dies. So it's just Elizabeth that lives there now. And every six months or every year or so, Augusta National offers her a multi-million dollar deal to buy her house from her. And she says the same thing over and over. It's not for sale. God's love is the same way. You can't buy it. It's not something you can trade for. It's not something that's for sale because he gives it to you freely with no strings attached. It's absolutely priceless. It's priceless love. So often when we 
compare God, we compare him with fathers, but I feel like in this sense, with this love, it's got to be the mother's. A mother's love for her kids is incredible. Her love reminds me of God's love because it's relentless. It's forgiving. It's compassionate. It's boundless. It's never-ending. It's gracious. It's a mother's love for her children that cannot be traded for. You cannot buy it. It's not for sale. It's something that everybody wants and everybody craves. It's a love that is so often taken for granted and taken advantage of, and we don't even think about it. How many times has your mom done laundry and tried to get the grass stains out of your knees? Or fixed a pair of pants or hemmed a pair of pants? How many miles has your mom driven for you to take you to music lessons and ballet and different school events? How many times has she spent late nights and early mornings just praying for you, for your safety, praying for your choices? How many times has your mom saved your life? When I was just an infant, less than a year old, I had what's called a febrile seizure. I had a really, really, really high fever, 105, 106. I don't know what it was. I was not even a year old. But the story goes that my parents, they got on the phone with the doctor and they said, what do we do? And they said, bring him in right now. And so my dad gets in the car and he's driving and my mom's just holding me in her lap. And, and as they're driving along, my mom says, he's not breathing anymore. He stopped breathing. And so my dad coaches my mom on how to give me CPR and she tilts my head back and she closes my nose and, and then she breathes life-giving breath and air and oxygen down into my lungs. They tell me that I was blue, but she saved me. That's love, y'all. That's priceless love. That's a love that a mother has for her children to, do, to save them no matter what. How do you quantify the love for a mother? Can you? Can you thank a mom for her love? You know, Solomon, the guy that writes this, this love story in the Bible, in his other book, he finishes in Proverbs 31, by saying these words, and I think they fit. He says, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her, and it's like they stand up as a group right here and they say, many women do noble things, but you, you surpass them all. And while the lovers in Solomon share their undying love for each other, and while we can talk about how mothers love each other, it's really the priceless love of God that absolutely blows my mind. As God looks at sinful humanity, he doesn't see what I see. Because when I see sinners, he sees people he can save. When I see failure, he sees forgiven. When I see pitiful, he sees priceless. And all over the Bible, you can see his love letters to you and me. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2, here's what it says. It's on the screen for you. It says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. He says, I don't care if you were dead to sin. He's like, I've got you. I'm going to make you alive. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5. I love this verse. He says, But God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get perfect. He said, I'm doing it now while you're still sinning. 
Here's one, John 15. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. It blows my mind that someone would love me that much. It's bonkers. It's absolutely ridiculous. While we would see us and we would think, nope, not worth it. God sees us and he says, it's worth it all. The longer I dwell on and experience God's love, the deeper it gets for me. It's so much more than a kiddie pool kind of love. It's the deep end of the ocean kind of love. And as you hear Pastor Jeremy sing this morning, and and as you sing with him about the depths of God's love, may you soak it in. May it overwhelm you. May you submerge in it and sink deeply into it as you realize how much God loves you.